Welcome everyone to Dolls of Our Lives. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. Except on this episode, we're so honored to be joined by Aisha Harris, a co-host of Pop Culture Happy Hour and author of Wannabe Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. Welcome, Aisha. Hey, it's great to be here. We're so excited to have you here both to talk about your own American Girl story, but also about this really wonderful book of essays, both about kind of the pop culture that shaped you and, and you know, the ways that they, and kind of like bigger questions about pop culture and how we all interact with it. So lots to kind of get into. But first, I just want to say, we I just noted off air that we're both from Connecticut. So I learned about mm-hmm. kind of meet young Aisha in the book um, at the start. But can you kind of tell us a little bit about like, what's your American Girl story? Like, how did it come into your life? Oh, man, I think if I recall correctly, I was like, five years old or so when the Addie doll came out Um, and I got it for either that Christmas or the Christmas after it it came out but I was already familiar with the books like the books and the magazine Um, I was very obsessed with it and so I remember asking for the doll and um, yeah there's a photo of me holding uh, Addie in her school outfit which was like a dark blue skirt uh, with a petticoat underneath and then a matching blouse like vest. Um, and it was, uh, you know, she was she was a doll that I, I had very complicated feelings about, um, but I did enjoy playing with her. And um, yeah, she was she she was she was such a part of my life in many ways uh, that I'm sure we'll get into. But um, yeah, Addie holds a special place in, in my heart. For sure. I mean, and you mentioned in the book, there's a mention of American Girl magazine, which also has like a big place in my childhood heart. But are there other American Girl things that you were interested in or that kind of, you know, we were a fan of? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was definitely a huge uh, fan of the magazines and also the advice books that they had. I have lots of them. I had like a sleepover book. That's how I planned my 10th birthday sleepover was with like the guide that they had. Um, Actually, I think it was like called the slumber party book or something. Uh, But I planned like a disco themed uh, 10th birthday party with that. I had. um, Oh, my God. Remember Help, the advice? Yeah, that was my favorite thing in the magazine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I had those. Love Help. Several of those books. Um, yeah, I was a big, oh, and there was another one that was about like manners and like, you know, those sorts of things. Of course. So I had, I had a, had a whole bunch of things. I actually feel as though that era, like when I was a slightly older, um, was probably in some ways more formative than Addie for me. Um, Hmm. just because, I mean, I loved Addie's stories and I, I liked the other historical girl stories, but at the same time, um it, it was like dolls for me I would get I would beg for a doll and then I'd get in I'd play for it with, with it for like maybe a week maybe a month <laughs> and then I'd be bored um yeah. and so I think the books though there was like a inherent re re-readability they, they were useful um in a way that like the dolls weren't and so I really really loved the uh the the books and the magazines and the sort of things that were geared a little bit to older uh kids than the the doll for sure 
Yeah. I mean, did the slumber party go well? Did the book help you plan it? <laughs> it went well. I remember I made my mom, my mom bought me a real actual disco ball. But the <gasps> but the problem was, is that our basement, uh, it was in our basement, which is like a finished basement, but like it had that like weird, you know, like the styrofoam sort of ceiling. The- yep. And, and like the metal thing. Oh, the hanging. drop ceiling? Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, it was a drop ceiling. And we tried to hang it up before the party. And the, the disco ball was too heavy. Oh, no. <laughs> it was too heavy. So we wound up like, and I also, it even came with a matching light, like a light that you could shine on it to reflect. Um, but unfortunately, it was too heavy. And so my mom was like, well, the next best thing, I guess, since this party is tonight or tomorrow or whatever, is to take a ball. Like, it's just like one of those like, balls you play with and then like cover it in tinfoil and that's what we did oh my god (laughs) that is like okay but that's so like endearing like the the hack the birthday party hacks you do to like make stuff work yeah i love that yeah that's also like that would be magazine approved they were constantly pushing crafts that were like that kind of thing. so many diy things yeah yeah Yeah, i I had a craft book too love that love that for you yeah so you say that you you had an Addie and these books. I'm curious if you still own them. And when people kind of drop your name, right, there's always someone who kind of, I think, comes out periodically in the different cycles and like says something about Addie. And then people say, you have to read the Aisha Harris piece. Do you keep up with that? Or is this kind of something that you're keeping in, you know, 2016 world or or even like earlier, right? Like Addie is on the shelf somewhere. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think so I remember when I was writing the piece originally, I actually asked my mom if she still had it because we were trying to like actually get an, an image of the doll to use for like the main photo for the piece. Uh, and my mom did not have it anymore. I think what happened was she let, had like gave it away to a friend's Ooh. kid or whatever, which I was like, yeah, it's fine. Like my mom at one point like had to move. And so like she had to get rid of stuff and like, whatever um that thing was collecting dust because i hadn't seen it in probably (laughs) like (laughs) 15 years at that point um even more than that uh so yeah don't have it anymore um the photo that we wound up taking i think like what we wound up doing for that piece is we um ordered one off of like ebay and then like dressed it up and put it like the photographer like came up with the backdrop for it so that's how we got that photo um but yeah, it's it's so interesting to me because like I've had I've written a few pieces and this is one of them that like kind of has its it comes back around every like quarter. <laughs> and it, honestly, like it makes me really happy because it means that more people are discovering it um, and that it was also a very useful piece and that people remember it. Um, and I think that like, especially sort of the last time it came, became a thing was like a few months ago. And um it was because someone was kind of saying the same things that I had said as a kid or like wondered for many years, which is like, why the first black doll have to be a slave doll? Um, and, you know, I think that part of what I really was able to do with the piece is uh, in my research and actually talk to the people who were involved, I realized, oh, there was so much thought put into this entire process. And mm. this was not just some haphazard like this white owned company with mostly white employees just kind of jumping on a bandwagon i mean yes i'm sure that you know pleasant roland saw something lucrative out of this like it is capitalism 
you know, always wins, <laughs> of course. Right. Like, at the very least, she was she was very thoughtful in putting together an entire like board, advisory board, who worked over several months. I think it might have been even a little like a year or a little over a year that they met up every once in a while and really like gave their input on the historical facts, on the aesthetics of the doll, um, what the story, like the details of the story. Um, and to have that be how it was made and the fact that it was done so carefully and thoughtfully, to me, even even not knowing that, as an adult, I would still say she's more than just a quote unquote slave doll. But I think especially with that knowledge, it really enhances, um, I think, her 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 legacy and her like meaningfulness as a doll that is meant to be both played with and uh educational in a way yeah for sure definitely and it, it's interesting because in your piece you know this is from 2016 that there were layoffs and that the brand seemed kind of in decline but since your pieces come out there's been of course this huge like nostalgia resurgence of adult fans coming back to the brand and unfortunately i like you have no idea where my dolls are and i just moved <laughs> and i asked my parents i took they basically use this as an opportunity to unload things they no longer wanted on me like mm-hmm. haven't you always wanted an air hockey table and i'm like i guess like whatever <laughs> but i thought i would find the dolls they're still mia like my thoughts and prayers to them hopefully they surface someday but you know there's a lot of people our age who are re-engaging with the brand and the dolls since your piece has come out. I wonder what you make of that. And also that there's historic characters that are from, in some cases, our own lifetimes, like Courtney Moore from 1986. Now there's twins from the 90s, oh, which is God. Yeah. truly insane for me. <laughs> like, what do you, And because so much of your book, which we're going to get into, deals really, you know, in depth with nostalgia and pop culture. Like, what do you make of all of this? Dude, when I <laughs> when I saw those twins like a few months ago, because I, I like I don't keep up with American Girl. I don't have kids uh, and I don't have why well, do you have friends who have kids? But I I don't know their lives like that in terms of like what toys they're buying. So I, I, I checked it out because I was curious. And when I saw that there was a 90s, late 90s, <laughs> like actually when I was their exact age and the fact that their room actually looked like my room like i didn't have a yes. lucky enough to have a computer in my room but like the inflatable chair had it uh with a <laughs> with a matching ottoman it was clear and had uh like uh kind of 60s style flowers all over it i think i got it from either delia's or like limited two or something um Classic. there is a book it pizza challenge which <laughs> blew my mind because i hadn't thought about that since i was eight um and that was such a like i didn't realize people around the country had i thought it was just like a regional thing but no like right depending on who you talk to there's like a whole segment of millennials uh who like know what book it is and then people who are like i don't know what that is so like it's it was just it's just weird to me to think that like now like we've moved into the space where these the history that they are covering is not that far past anymore. Um, and so, you know, I was, you know, when the 70s one came out, I was like, oh, sure, why not? Uh, 80s, <laughs> I born at the very end of the 80s, I don't remember it, fine. Uh, but this this one kind of hurts. Uh, but I get it because it's a smart marketing on their part because those people, i.e. us, uh, I think, are you 
you all millennials? I don't want to assume, but like. Oh, yeah. I'm okay. 36. I'm as old as the brand, so I'm older than you. Okay. Tragically. Uh, but it doesn't show. By a year. Uh, that's nothing. Uh, <laughs> so so it's a smart marketing move because, of course, then like people our age are now having kids. And so they can have their kids play with their childhoods. It's weird, but I guess that's. <laughs> that's what people want to do and that is like sort of the long tail of nostalgia just kind of comes in cycles and um it's wild to think that now like anyone born in the 90s is in their is in their 30s or going to be in their 30s before this decade is over um but here we are uh and here is american girl and pretty soon i don't even know like i don't know how soon they're gonna do a aughts version but it's probably coming. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that is scary. We were going to ask, like, if you had any ideas for stories or eras you wish they would take on, but perhaps that's too terrifying, like, for them to come to the millennium or the willennium, some may say. Ah, the willennium. Uh, yes. <laughs> what, will 2K. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, if I had, well, they already did, they had the Harlem Renaissance doll, um, mm-hmm. which is, the third black doll, I believe, or fourth, maybe. I, I don't know how many they've had at this point. Fourth, course. I think. Yes, fourth. Um, so, I mean, that to me would have been a, like, if it didn't exist already, I'd be like, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, as a black person, like, really, the past is kind of hard to get too <laughs> excited about in any way. Like, it would have been cool had the 90s kids been little black girls because there there's so many things you could have like you know you know braids and uh you know uh bamboo earrings and things like that it could be cool but Mm. um it's fine they instead they have you know the twins who have exactly my bedroom when i was 12 years old (laughs) (laughs) still traumatic still traumatic yeah um I think we want to kind of get into talking about your book, but first we thought we would kind of take us all back in time with a kind of rapid fire pop culture quiz. We just want to know your preferences. Like, let's imagine that we're reading like, you know, Tiger Bee. I didn't read any of those, but, you know, like, let's say that's in there. Allison, do you want to tee us off? We can, you can take us through this quiz. Yeah. So this is a, this is kind of like an either or, um, sync, Backstreet Boys or 98 Degrees. Oh my God. Okay. When I was of like prime age for them, I was team Backstreet, but now I am team NSYNC. Wow. Did something happen or you just are like, this is the wisdom of age? Uh, I It's probably a little bit of both. I, I was very, I wanted to be, I, I don't know if this, maybe I'm previewing another question, but like I was definitely <laughs> one of those kids who like didn't wanted to be a little bit of the, the uh, what's the contrarian. Um, so I was like, no, NSYNC is not cooler. They came out after. They're copycats. Oh. Um, and then on top of that, with Brittany and Christina, I was like, Christina all the way. She sings. Like, she's she can belt, blah, blah, blah. And now I realize, yeah. like, I'm sorry, but Brittany and NSYNC had the hits. Like, the better the better catalog. Wow. catalog. Um, I'm just Story saying. checks out. Just yeah, saying. I mean, we can't we can't really fight you on that one. We, I mean, that was too hot a question, Brittany or Christina. That's not even in this quiz. <laughs> I didn't want to divide us too early. Now, don't get Sorry. me wrong. I I want it that way is probably the greatest boy band song of all time. But like, that's undoubtedly, one song, and there are so many other songs uh, that it's also like when the lights go out. 
I forget what boy band that was, which it's oh, a very- Oh, wasn't it a British like, boy band? Yes, it's like a C-list level boy like band. Like Take Five Seven, or something? Take Five, yeah, like or, one of those. Boy Zone. <laughs> oh my God, Boy Zone. I can't. I don't oh remember. My God. But like, I just have visceral memories of like all our school dances in middle school were in a church basement because I went to Catholic school and like that song came on and it felt like the most dangerous thing in the world. And I was like, this is the greatest song I've ever heard. Like, obviously it's not, but that that is still my pick. Again, I don't remember their names, but- Thank you. If you're listening, if you're out there, it's it's still a good song. Great like song. I'll stand by that song. <laughs> anyway, continuing on, if you ever felt, com- did you ever feel compelled to vote for a video on TRL? And if so, what was it? And if you didn't, what would you retroactively vote for? Oh God, I, of course I wanted to, but like, I, I don't know. I guess I wasn't motivated enough to figure out how to do it and convince my parents to let me use the phone to do it. Um, but you know i feel like so we already mentioned will willennium will decay and i very <laughs> much remember when that music video premiered because i vhs'd it i taped it um they did like i think they did a making the video of it and i was obsessed with that video and that song it's not a good video or a song in hindsight but uh yeah that would that would have been the one that i would have voted for um at the time had I figured out how to do it. Wow. Yeah. Brave pick. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, you know, wow. I, what can I say? I was going through a huge Will Smith phase at that time. No one will, no one will question you. <laughs> I feel like you could argue that pop culture has been going through a Will Smith phase until roughly about a year ago. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, <laughs> I think that's all of us. Um, Allison, sorry. Do you want to, I feel like you were in charge of the quiz and I got too excited about TRL. My apologies. Sure. So you talk a lot about, not a lot, but you talk about the Spice Girls in your book, which was a wonderful refresher. Um, do you have a most iconic Spice Girls song that you enjoy and or a pop culture moment from the Spice Girls? Ooh, okay. I think, I mean, Wannabe, which is also the title of my book, is a perfect pop song. But I think my favorite song which is more of a deep cut of theirs is never give up on the good times from spice world. Love that song. Also very disco-y and it like, it actually, I remember playing Mm -hmm. it at my disco themed slumber party. Um, Oh my God. Yes. It was, uh, it was, it was the thing. And so, yes. Uh, I love that song. It is, I still listen to it to this day pretty often. Um, in <laughs> fact, I think I put it on, I, ma- I made a playlist that corresponds with Wannabe the book. Um, and I'm oh, pretty excellent. sure it is on there. And if it's not, I need to go and throw it on there. But like, people should go and check that out for sure. It's on Spotify. Um, okay. Iconic moment. I don't know. It's like, okay, well, if I had one iconic moment, it would be, and this is a moment I didn't even know existed until like a few years ago, which was like at one point they were on a show in, I think, Denmark or somewhere, not the UK. Um, and they brought these like talk show hosts brought out the like these racist Santa elves, basically, that that are like part of their culture, like every year this pops up and people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe they do this. And I'm like, yeah, they've been doing this for years. Um, but anyway, they brought out these like holiday related uh uh um people 
in blackface. Um, and Scary Spice is like, this is not okay. Why can't you just have real black people do this? And the host is like, no, no, no. This is like, this is our <laughs> culture. And then all the other Spice Girls like chime in. They're like, no, this is bad. This is bad. Change it. I think you should change it. I think you should change it. You shouldn't have their faces painted. The fact that they're all sticking up for her um, I yes. think it's a great moment and um, it also just really made it very clear to me that like oh, Scary Spice probably had to deal with so much BS like as the lone black person in the band and from a place that, like not that the US is any better but like British British racism is its own thing uh, <laughs> so yeah mm-hmm. that that to me is like such an iconic moment. And, you know, ties in pretty nicely with the themes of my book, because I do talk about the Spice Girls in the context of like black being like the black friend out of the the white friend group and sort of the awkwardness that can come with that. And um, yeah, Scary Spice. I love her. And I'm I'm so sorry. She probably had to deal with so much crap uh, <laughs> Absolutely. during that period. Yeah. So speaking of friend groups, um, do you have a babysitter's club? group member that you still identify with is it still christy has that changed over time yeah i mean when i was younger i definitely thought i was like a full-on tomboy christy thomas style and i think to some extent i still have a little bit of those tendencies but when i look back on it i think i was very much like jesse um of course the the one black <laughs> baby service club uh, member and in part because a she was her and Mallory were younger than everyone else. They were 11 while all the other girls were 13, which is like a thing, uh, if you recall. And so like they only they only babysat like certain hours because they were 11 years. Yes. Also, when I think about the fact <laughs> that people were entrusting these 11 and 13 year olds. It's truly like unhinged. Yeah, it's, it's wild. But anyway, um, so Jessie was the younger of her group. And because I... I I skipped kindergarten so like I I was always a year or two younger than everyone mm. I was friends with so I could identify with like when I wanted to get my license like it took me longer and I was very annoyed because like all my other mm. friends already had their licenses and I had you know it was a thing um and then on top of that she was a ballerina and I was a huge like I was a dance competition kid like dance moms was my life great thankfully my mom was not a dance mom but i dealt with dance moms so uh (laughs) and i just like on our patreon we had a reality tv powerpoint party and two people presented on dance moms which i had never seen like i love reality tv i'd never seen that show i'm still like what did i witness like one person presented on iconic dance routines that they did one basically just dropped down on like the craziest dance moms and just sort of like the whole show. I don't even know. Like the fact that she had them fake bruised for makeup to do an interpretive dance about domestic violence. And again, we're looking at like 10 year old girls. Dude, I, I have similar stories. Like what there was one year. <laughs> Tell us. Okay. There was one year where um, this was right after Mulan had come out. Oh, so Mind you, not a single person in our dance troupe was Asian, but they decided to do a number, not to any of like the songs, you know, like I'll be a make a man of you or anything like an instrumental. So it was just like it was kind of a lyrical number, but to like the instrumentals from from Mulan. And so (laughs) they had us wearing these like red sparkly spandex, like top and bottom um, that were kind of bell bottomy. And then they had us wearing 
chopsticks in our uh, oh, rhinestoned chopsticks <gasps> no. in our buns, in high buns. And then for only one competition, because I think someone, I don't know who, but someone finally said this is not okay. They had us paint oh our God. face white like we were geishas. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. After that one competition, they ditched the the white face or like the geisha face. Okay. But mm-hmm. we did keep we 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 did keep the chopsticks for the whole day. And look, I was 10, so I didn't know better, but like you're not responsible. <laughs> you're not responsible. But oh my god. I, that was like one of the more egregious things. And there were other things like, you know, <laughs> dressing kind of sexy and when we're like 11 and dancing to simply irresistible. But like, you know. I mean, <laughs> That's just, those were the times. That's what I learned from the PowerPoint. Those were the times that we're in. And, and that we're oh still in, God. apparently. <laughs> I mean, what's her name was singing Reflection at King Charles's coronation concert, like from nowhere, was like, this occasion seems to call for the Mulan soundtrack. <laughs> so weird. So weird. <laughs> so weird. Like, what goes on? Oh, my God. Um, we have so many questions we could ask you about pop culture, but I guess we'll, like, wind it down a little bit. Although I'm tempted, you... You said you're a dog lover. Who's the most cinematic 90s dog? Wishbone, the cast of Homeward Bound, or Airbud? Oh, I mean, I think it's, for me, it's it's no doubt Homeward Bound for sure. Um, <laughs> although I did like Wishbone. I thought you were going to say Beethoven. Remember Beethoven? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. I apologize for my Beethoven erasure. No, it's I a- just was like, I literally watched that movie and was like, is this animatronic? Like, that dog so was like, I am not going to do this with you. Like, yeah. I'm going to lay here and I'm not doing this with you. Or like every other dog. I mean, Airbud, they made him switch sports by the third movie. Yeah. The third movie is about like soccer. It's I, like, what are we doing? Yeah. I think I saw the first Airbud, and after that, I tapped out. I was like, I don't. It's yeah. for the best. I love dogs, but this was not doing it for me. Um, so, yeah, give, give me Homer Bound. I mean, granted, one of them was a cat, but it's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there were two dogs. And uh, yeah, that's that's my pick, Homer Bound. I am curious if you agree with the thesis of Wannabe, the song. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You got to get with my friends. You know what? I think yes and no. Um, My partner and I have a lot of mutual friends. And then we also have our own friends uh, who we don't uh, share, I guess. (laughs) It's a weird weird thing to say. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm totally, I think if your friends don't like who you're dating or who you are with, then I'm sorry, but that's gonna be really hard and you need friends. Uh, so you should not ditch Wise. those friends. That's <laughs> right. And, you know, before we get into your book, final question, I think you're a Judy Garland stand too, and as am I. And mm-hmm. I just, you also like trash pop culture, I think, as I do, camp movies. Mm-hmm. Has Liza Minnelli seen Grease too? Oh my goodness. Or is the Lorna Luff drama like too deep that she's like, I can't engage arguably one of the greatest movies of our times? Oh, I... Are they like really not on speaking terms? I think, I think they are now. Okay. I think they've brought it back around. Okay. Yeah. Um, I feel like she's probably seen Grease too. I hope so. I mean, it is a classic. Michelle Pfeiffer is just, she's committed. I, I <laughs> and, and I, and I love it. But anyway, something that's not insane, that's just pure wonderful, was reading your book, which we both loved and flew through. Um, so we just kind of want to go through some of the chapters, like 
get your hot takes, like care more about it from you. But the first chapter is really lovely. Word chosen on purpose about kind of the story of your name and you thinking it was based on Stevie Wonder's Isn't She Lovely? And then spoiler alert, it's not. So (laughs) can you talk a little bit about that and sort of like, I guess the ways that pop culture can define our own narratives? Because I think that's kind of like a bigger point you're making there. Yeah, this was the first essay that I wrote um, during this entire process. And it's the first one in the book. And I think it kind of clearly lays out sort of a lot of the themes I'm touching on throughout the entire um, book and the nine essays. And it is for me, like, I think what I find so fascinating about pop culture is how even if we're not fully aware that it's happening, it it seeps into our consciousness and really makes us um, think like think about who we are or like makes us uh, consider who we are through the lens of pop culture. And for me, having a name that at least when I was growing up, I didn't really know too many other people who had this name. Um, and I also grew up, as I've already said, in a predominantly white environment. Um, and so, you know, being, having to deal with people saying my name incorrectly, uh, or referring to it, uh, in the, in a context that like, I wasn't all crazy about, um, as this like weird cultural reference point, I kind of wanted to, I, I didn't realize I was doing this, but I wanted to create my own narrative and sort of push back against it. And I think that this is something that we 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 all can do and have done in various ways. Um, is this sort of like weird self-mythologizing to make ourselves feel better about our circumstances or whatever we've been handed. And um and I wanted to sort of tease that out and kind of take people through my thought process and how that thought process was really unpacking some deeply uh, problematic things within myself, including, you know, feeling ashamed of my Blackness or feeling um, feeling as though my name could be perceived as quote-unquote ghetto or um, just not, uh, I don't know, not proper. And um, I really wanted to be able to sort of look at how pop culture especially like reinforces that. So I touch on, <clears throat> excuse me, I touch on everything from like, SNL and the TV sitcom Martin with like Shanene and and the like this like stereotype around black names, especially black women's names. Um, Mad TV, Bong Quigley, uh, who <laughs> Mad TV was its own. What what a what an era that was. Uh, it's so. sort of stunning if you catch a rerun of that show to think like, how did that happen the 90s the 90s was a wild wild west like even in living color (laughs) like both of those shows were had were it could be very uncouth uh but so yeah i i really wanted to sort of just kind of take readers through this understanding and hopefully get them to sort of see how maybe um they themselves have sort of created these ideas or fantasies about who they are um maybe through pop culture um because i think it's we're all kind of susceptible to it because um it's like our it's a language that many of us can speak and use to speak to to each other um just like for some people sports i don't 
I don't care about sports, but like, you know, it's one of those things where like, if you're sitting at a bar, you could conceivably like strike up a conversation with someone about sports. And it's the same thing with certain things like pop culture, like succession, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now in your second chapter, I think it really strikes a chord with where some of our listeners may have like interacted with your work before. Um, You have this quote from Bell Hooks, just because writers and directors are black does not exempt them from scrutiny. And I think where some of our listeners, you know, like having read the Addie piece or like interacted with your writing about Connie Porter and kind of that relationship, could you just talk more about that and kind of what you explore in that chapter to, you know, make sure that people go out there and read it? Yeah. So this chapter is called Blackity Black. uh, And it's kind of my rumination on what it means to be a Black critic and also what it means to be a critic of Black art and entertainment. And my overarching sort of thesis and idea is this idea that like we need to move past this this way of framing criticism um, and reception of pop culture as just purely something like negative or positive or um, progressive or, you know, conservative, because I think that that's like, for one thing, it's not interesting. It just really, it's reductive and it doesn't, you know, get at what the reason why we go to these things and watch these things is because we want to be entertained and enjoy these things. And I think sometimes, oftentimes, uh, consumers uh, and audiences will want to reach for something representing what they what they feel politically or Mm. um, their identity, how they're represented like, oh, Ariel is black now. This is great. And I'm like, well, Little Mermaid, the remake is not very good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I want to be able to say that without people claiming that I'm anti-black or that I am, you know, going to that I'm going to like make it harder for other movies and TV shows about black people get made. Because for one thing, we're 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 not, I mean, we're not in it's not perfect. There's still so many setbacks in terms of representation and who is able to green light things and whatnot. But we are far better off than we were 50 years ago or even 10, 15 years ago. Um, you know, it's obviously Shonda Rhimes, Ava DuVernay, Jordan Peele, you know, Lena Waithe. Like I can list off 15 to 20 people easily who are sort of rainmakers in Hollywood right now and and, and black rainmakers. Um, and so I feel like it's not, we shouldn't treat black art as something that is fragile and something that needs to be handled with kids gloves. And in fact, to me, the more progressive thing is to actually like really wrestle with this art in a serious manner and not just, uh, you know, not just judge it as as to whether it like checks off any sort of like boxes in terms of representation or just like however you align politically. Um, And I think that sort of came through for me in the Addie piece as well, because, you know, I, I felt like for so long I was sort of just judging it based on the fact that it was about slavery and I, it made me embarrassed because all the other girls in the line got to like care about horses and like <laughs> kind of frivolous things that like in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of thing were not that big of a deal. And then Addie has to deal with slavery. <laughs> um, right. but, but like part of growing up and also part of what telling the story of Addie as she was created made me realize is, is that like, 
she was more than that. And I think there was inherent value in her and is still. And um, I think that's just like, that's the sort of mentality I'm trying to get at in this essay um, in my book is, you know, we need to be able to hold two things at once. Like it doesn't need to be all one thing. I'm not saying we don't, you know, don't uh, acknowledge when there are problems with something in terms of how it represents people, but I don't think it should be the be all end all. Um, because again, that's just, it's boring and it's reductive. Absolutely. And I mean, I hope you won't get, I guess the red table talk was canceled, so they can't call you there to talk about King Richard, and <laughs> Will Smith. But, yeah. you know, I thought that was a really good example of like, I found it really interesting that so many people were like trying to make King Richard happen or like his performance in it to be worthy of the nomination when, you know, as you kind of like write about it, like, I mean, he has other issues around that event, but yeah. I mean, you know, I thought that was a really interesting, like recent example. Yeah. I stand by it. Will Smith, uh, you know, that was an award, like many Oscar awards are for like a career as opposed to for right. that role. Um, it was like the right time, uh, other than the slap, but that was, <laughs> that happened before the slap. He, he won it before the slap happened. So um yeah i stand by it and but there are some people as i wrote in the book that uh including one person who came into my dms and was like how dare you <laughs> you're like you're ruined. what yeah yeah <clears throat> they were like you know will smith uh, like why do, why do you have to talk about these things and you know i'm like just this is a, it's a mediocre movie it's not terrible it's not great and he should have won for like pursuit of happiness you know, mm. uh, I, mm. which I think is a better role, not necessarily a better movie, but it's a better, better role. Um, but anyway. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, I appreciate your writing on this and, and sharing your um, thoughts on it. I want to pivot to someone who you quote, who's mainly I associate with feelings, Alanis Morissette. <laughs> you end this chapter with, I am aware now. And I was like, what a power move to end with this, like really iconic Alanis line. But you write about being a cool girl or like this idea of the cool girl. And it's a really interesting kind of exploration of that. Basically thinking about like you presumed or like the cool girl is the person who postures towards masculinity or like is willing to kind of be down or like show like that vi like vision of power is like being masculine. And you kind of have to go on this journey of like upending it. So I guess like, first of all, I just want to ask like, what was the process like for you of like writing so personally about your own life and pop culture? Like, was this a new kind of flex for you or like, how did that feel doing that? This is by far the most personal I've ever gotten uh, in my public journalist life. And it was a little weird in part because, you know, both my parents are thankfully still alive and they've read it. So I'm like, oh goodness, they're going to hear about my, <laughs> my sexcapades. Uh, <laughs> during my my youth as a 20 something and a college student whatever um but i also like i so it was a, it was a little weird uh to to contemplate but i also felt as though you know it's this isn't that itself is not necessarily a, a new concept of course like i i talked about the cool girl and i directly reference uh gillian flynn's uh gone girl where that sort of she kind of talks about that that if there's that you know iconic passage where she's talking about what the cool girl is and I I my cool girl version of that is somewhat similar but not quite because it's it's not about for me or it wasn't for me about pretending to like things that guys like so that they would be into me but it was more about me pretending to not care 
and not care about mm. relationships and and um be the sort of always wanting to be the one who had the upper hand in the relationship like at any point I could leave you but you're not going to leave me that sort of thing so like I right. pursued relationships where I felt comfortably that that might happen um purposefully um I didn't get a chance to like include this in the book but like one of the things that I was thinking about the whole time was the dentist system from it's always sunny in Philadelphia and <laughs> some of our listeners might uh, might have heard about it um familiar with this but Dennis uh, one of the insufferable terrible people on that show there's an entire episode where he explains how he manipulates women and the dentist system is like an acronym for all the ways the various steps that he takes which are like unhinged and <laughs> absolute incel like uh what like what was the those like uh those guys who like played tricks on women or the what, what were they oh, called oh um oh my god they they there's a, they wrote like the game that whole that book the game yeah or that, and i'm just thinking the main guy who wore that really terrible hat the hat yeah what <laughs> <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue but anyway the, yes. the sort of like trickster guys like I I was look i'm not trying to like make myself sound good but like i was never that terrible i was never like you know doing that kind of thing but i did you know, I would not not text someone or like, you know, pretend to ignore them. And so I wanted to, in this essay, sort of like uh, lay out exactly how pop culture reinforces these things and often reinforces these types of things within male characters. And so Sam Malone from Cheers, like the, the quintessential ladies man, Barney from uh, how, how I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, of course, Samantha Jones and... Um, she's got to have a Nora uh, or Nola, Nola, and she's got to have it. Like they're also, for me, they were sort of these icons in a similar sense of Sam Malone and um, Barney Stinson uh, because they were the female version of that. And so I wanted Mm. to really like think about what that means and how there's a there's some empowerment to be found in their like sexual fluidity and 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 openness but at the same time they were also not great people or great romantic partners (laughs) so um yeah that whole essay is sort of about discovering how to like not not um really entertain that anymore as i grew older and also like how i met my partner and um not that he was like the turning point. I was kind of already on that path when mm-hmm. uh, when I met him, but it definitely sort of has, and it's still a growing process for me. I'm I still have a lot of issues as a partner. I'm sure he's he's very he lets me know when I'm not listening to him, <laughs> <laughs> when I'm not when I'm uh, you know not forget uh, necessarily being as affectionate as he would like me to be. Um, I'm not a cuddler. Like it's just not my thing. Uh, but you know. Fair. What's your sign? I'm a Capricorn. Okay. I don't know what that it's means. It's okay. But... <laughs> I don't fully understand that, but I feel like it's okay. It under it explains. Like I don't think that's maybe in your your oeuvre, and that's okay. You know, like we all have different we all have different things. We do. We do. <laughs> We're on a journey. No, but that chapter really resonated with me, and I was like, I just thought it was really cool the way that you were willing to kind of like bring in your own personal journey with all these tropes that we've grown up with that really signal like that we should all want to be the cool girl and 
there's part of me that's terrified of Gen Z. No offense, Gen Z listeners who are listening right now, but it's like, they're so earnest or like they, I feel like their mental health is like so much stronger as a baseline than like what millennials came in with. And I'm like, maybe they won't feel this pull to be the cool girl, but that remains to be seen, I guess. I don't know. Oh man, I hope so. But at the same time, there's just been too many studies showing that social media like is ruining. (sighs) Yeah. Well, both millennials and Gen Z, but especially Gen Mm. Z. And I'm just like, oh man, every time I think that we're moving into a better place, I'm like, but are we though? (laughs) (laughs) You have a, a great chapter that drops a lot on Kenny G. And you talk about, you know, that over personalization and the connections that people make and, you know, like in a lot of the language that people say to us, it's, you know, like I'm such a such and such like American girl character. Right. Or like I think we grew up with, as you say, like the sex in the city characters. Do you feel Uh like there's a way out of that? Right. Like, do you feel like that's going away or that's just going to become more entrenched? Uh, I mean, uh, no, because I don't think it's ever really went away. I just think it's become more pronounced. Um, you know, the Swifties and Barbies of today, and by Barbies, Barb's, I mean, like, uh, you know, Nicki Minaj stands are just, you know, the Beatles stands of a different era. Um, <clears throat> granted, there are more, more ways for them to be unhinged. <laughs> And, and perhaps more like <laughs> dastardly ways to be unhinged. Um, but I don't think it's something that's going to go away. But I do feel as though my motto, and look, it's 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 hard for me sometimes to, to feel this way because I too can get wrapped up in just like the idea of a celebrity who seems to check off all the boxes, whether it's like I find them very attractive and or they say all the right things about, you know, whatever cause or belief that I also ascribe to. Um, They're in things that I like, blah, blah, blah. Um, But then, you know, they turn out to be Jonathan Majors. And uh, (laughs) I have to remind myself, (laughs) never stand. Uh, (laughs) Just basically never stand. That's like my my motto. And and it's, it's just as hard as it can be just as hard for me as it can be for the next person. But what I really wanted to sort of look at within that book or within that essay was sort of how we got here and how I really think like so much of it is about how we are all, well, most of us, a lot of us are chronically online and a lot of us, especially in my age group, in our age group, grew up in the era of blogging and personal blogs and everything having to be an essay that like (laughs) reveals your traumas and then on top of that like celebrities especially musicians really wielding the power of social media to um create these fan bases that will do do anything short of murdering someone for them um including doxing people and threatening to kill them um so i i think it's like it's really scary um and i i hope that with that essay I was able to sort of lay out why we need to maybe pull back a little bit and like what we like and not like what we don't like, but also like not let it necessarily affect how we interact with other people. Um, you know, it's it's pop culture. It doesn't have to be that serious. 
Right. Says right. I, who wrote an entire book about pop culture. <laughs> but, you know, we weren't going to say that, but, you know, <laughs> that is true. Um, yeah, it seems like there it seems like an answer to the pop culture issue might just be cultivation of more IRL relationships or interactions with people. It seems like that's becoming much more awkward, I think, for people or like, especially with the pandemic, like just being in a meeting with people at work and not just on Zoom or, you know, all these different ways that people can isolate from each other. Yeah, people, most of us are back outside, but people still don't know how to act. It's, it's, <laughs> it's wild. And that's, <laughs> it is. And that's also been a perennial problem. But speaking of problems, I was really taken with your description of a movie that I still love, even though it's complicated, Save the Last Dance, as like a way into like black women, like depictions of black women in teen rom-coms in that case, but generally speaking, and like, so how do black women get agency and like the ways that, let's say Tina Fey has gone left on certain things and like perpetuated some bad behaviors. But, you know, first, like, what was Save the Last Dance? Like, what was happening there? Has it made any more sense to you since its debut? Even as I say this as a person who's seen it multiple times. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I love that movie, and I love to hate it. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, there's so many, so many things that, it, it, like, its heart is in the right place, but it's in the heart, the right place in the same way that, like, crashes hard is in the right place it's like come on now like the execution yeah. is oof um <laughs> yeah i i think that what i what i find so interesting especially is just like this was for me at least and i think for a lot of people was our introduction to carrie washington and we know she doesn't talk like that she hasn't talked like that character her character chenille who is julia styles's character like new best friend when Julia Stiles moves into the inner city after her mom dies and like all of a sudden she's like the white girl in this urban <laughs> jungle uh, <laughs> and uh, to see Carrie Washington kind of put on this black scent in a way um, mm -hmm. is is really interesting to think about and I, I wanted to within that essay about you know being the black friend I wanted to sort of explore I mean, a lot has been written about it, but I want to sort of explore how, perhaps like how it came to be and also how it played out in my own life as someone who grew up in mostly white environments within, you know, kids of my age. And um, it, part of the trope is just like, you are the side character in a white protagonist story. You are the one who they will tell you all their problems and you give advice, but then like they never ask you. Uh, so what's going on mm. with you? Um, you're the one who like the, you know, the other guys don't even look at, but they'll look at your white friend. It's like, I, really? Like, and she's all that. Gabrielle Union is right there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was a stunning example. I haven't thought about that movie in a long time, but I was like, oh my God. And even that actress who was like the main, like the white, the hot white girl, it's like, I don't know what happened to her, but I've blocked out so much of that movie. But reading that again, I was like, oh my God, like, Gabrielle Union in particular was done wrong in so many of those era mm -hmm. eras movies from that era, I should say. It's just, it's hard to see in retrospect. Like she was right there. Like, yeah, what was happening? Yeah, I mean, we can guess, but I mean, it's it's hard to watch in retrospect. Yeah, it, it was it was a time, but I, I think you know what I kind of wind up sort of coming back to. Um, by the end of that essay is sort of that 
we've moved a little bit further along and I use a movie in particular to sort of as one recent example of like how it's kind of like a subversion of the black best friend trope it's the movie Zola um which came out a couple years ago and was based off of that viral Twitter thread. Um, and I think it's really interesting to think about how, even as this trope is like still trotted out quite a bit, um, I think on the Queen's Gambit, there's also sort of a black friends thing going on there. Um, mm-hmm. Even though that's still a thing, I think there are ways that people, uh, black creators are kind of pushing back against that in subtle and not so subtle ways. You have a great, you know, like you kind of write out the book by making us think about these like endless loops of nostalgia and going back to what we talked about at the beginning with, you know, dolls from 1999, American Girl literally making a doll that has an American Girl from 1986. I wonder if you could kind of round us out by talking about reboots, like a reboot that you think has been a really good idea. You don't have to talk about a reboot that you think is a bad idea. We know where you are with <laughs> yeah I mean, there's so many people can <laughs> name names we can handle but, it um, yeah. you know especially like we know your opinion on ariel but you know there's this like endless infinity loop for lion king but yeah just talk a bit about reboots yeah i i really with this essay i wanted to just place people because i feel like despite the fact that reboots are what sells and let's be honest like right now especially post pandemic or i know we're still in the pandemic but like post lockdown we are um you know, people are flocking to go see the things that they're already familiar with. They are not so much for the things that are not. Um, But I also think that, you know, what I wanted to do was sort of point out how so many of us are feeling fatigued by it and overwhelmed by it. And um, for me, I think like the, I don't think that all reboots are bad or all sequels or whatever are bad. Like I'm a big fan unabashedly of the Fast and Furious franchise, even though I do think it's it's tank is kind of running on empty after this last movie. <laughs> uh, I still enjoyed it, but like they run out of ideas. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, uh, for a very recent example, I loved uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. I, I also loved Into the Spider-Verse. This was like the uh i mean technically it's not in not quite the same as the live action ones but like there were two reboots of that spider-man in like less than two decades and then this animated film comes along and like completely just does its own thing and imagines this like brilliant and beautiful world unlike any we've ever seen and it's one of the most gorgeous films ever made both of these movies um Mm -hmm. and i think that what they what they understand is that story is important narrative is very important and um you have to really take the time and care to not just feel like you're cashing in uh because i mean look Mm -hmm. it's 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 a yes it is absolutely a mother money money making enterprise and this movie has made already made a lot of money. But I also think like art and commerce are just part of the deal. And when you can find that balance, like Spider-Man has been able to do the animated version, it's it's beautiful and I love it. Um, I can, Im- I concerning Barbie is getting its own movie. I would not be surprised if American Doll gets its own feature somehow at some point, mm-hmm. like it's gotta be coming, right? Like. You mean like a major movie? Like a major movie. Like, I don't know. Maybe they, 
multiverses are hot right now. So like perhaps they just do one where they try and put all the historical dolls in oh one God. and they have to help each other in parallel <laughs> universes. I don't know. Like a Justice League <laughs> across in a multiverse. Yes. Yes. Iconic. I, I feel like we that's, would love that. that's happening. If anyone, you know, maybe I'll break into screenwriting and if anyone wants me to help pen that. Oh my God. We want that for you. We hope this works out. And maybe we do a stunt casting of Shailene Woodley to reprise her role. Like one of her first movies, she starred as Felicity. In, oh, you're uh, right. Yeah. And maybe she comes back. I don't know where, where she's at on multiple levels right now, but maybe she's willing to reenter the mix, kind of reintroduce herself. Maybe. Wasn't she like eating clay or something at some she point. was out there eating clay <laughs> sunbathing like she's she was with aaron Rodgers at disney world like per, vaxxed or not unclear like oh, i don't know oh, she needs she needs a re- reboot so maybe this is her time all right but let's wow get her. we <laughs> would we'll put her into the screenplay this is your screenplay i don't want to tell you what to write but it'll be felicity like 30 years later because she's definitely too old to be playing like a 12 year old but yeah although that would be amazing like if we were like <laughs> it'll be like in be... just like that uh <laughs> oh, God, no. and Che's in it for like no reason like we've also cast Che <laughs> uh, yes Che Good oh my che. god my favorite character they're just in there singing a Beach Boys song for like no reason <laughs> That would be amazing. Um, Well, thank you so much. We so appreciate you sharing your book with us. We encourage everyone to go check it out. Is there usually end with some like pop culture recommendations of things we're enjoying? Is there anything that you want to recommend aside from Spider-Man? I mean, there's an original property that uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour will actually have covered and I'll have reviewed, but it's called The Blackening and it's out in June this month. It's It's a really funny horror movie spoof um that imagines what would happen if every main character in the movie was black uh that way they cannot be you know one person can die first but there'll be other black people uh so (laughs) it's really funny i laughed a lot and it's got a great cast um of you know people you may recognize including yvonne orgy from insecure and jay farrow um it's just uh a blast and i encourage people to check it out if they like horror or like comedies or like horror comedies it's also not it's not quite it's definitely not as like gross as like scary movie it's a it's it's like a a, it's a little bit more sophisticated than that oh (laughs) okay all right it's a sophisticated spoof (laughs) okay (laughs) allison anything you want to recommend yeah, I've been seeing some interesting reviews on this, but I really liked it. I want to recommend The Guest by Emma Klein. A lot of people know her for her kind of like take on the Manson situation. Like she kind of did an interesting book on that called The Girls years ago. And I really liked this book. I've been interested in the people who found the pacing sort of strange. It's a really quick, really riveting read. So I would recommend that people check that out. That sounds very good. Um, I'm going to recommend, and you know, this is probably the most low run recommendation here today, and that's fine, but I'm really <laughs> invested, I don't know why, in Kiki Palmer's TikToks. Oh my goodness, yes, I love Kiki. I <laughs> am obsessed with Kiki Palmer, and her podcast is very good, where she interviews people about, like, literally one episode is, like, finance, the next episode is, like, I don't even know what it's like anything you it it seems like anything that strikes her interest she's like find me an expert i'm getting into it but her tiktoks are amazing because she's often in her car 
And it's like, again, like one, she's singing Taylor Swift lyrics. Like that's one TikTok. Then we go right into her floating a theory. Her mentor told her about the great Gatsby actually being about the Gatsby as a passing black man. And she's like unpacking, like processing that that in real time. And it's just like, I just am so charmed by her and her genuine enthusiasm for other people and for things that she's exploring or discovering. So sometimes I can feel like I'm dead inside, like I get too cynical. So that has like brought me joy is like seeing someone else seem so genuinely interested in the things that, you know, they're discovering. So that's my recommendation. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us. And we can't wait for everyone to check out your book. This was a blast. Thanks so much. And thanks for letting me like fan cast an American Girl movie. <laughs> <laughs> always. Always. <laughs>